As we have been noting for you these last few weeks, we have been uh, reading and preaching from a set of appointed readings throughout the church called the lectionary this fall, which means that the passages of scripture are selected for us. And this passage today is, um, well, let me put it this way. I have in my Bible uh, passages that I have used in preaching marked off with a pen to know where I want to read. And next to it is the date of the sermon that I've preached. A few texts have three or four or five dates next to them. Some have one. You can flip through and you can sort of get a log over the years. This passage today, no date. It is a passage that is sometimes called apocalyptic literature. I will talk to you a little bit about that later this morning. It is, um, it's a long go through this passage. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read actually longer than the reference that you have in your bulletin. I'll read to verse 28 in Luke 21. The scene is immediately after the scene we talked about last week in which Jesus is standing with his disciples and looking at people putting money in the treasury in the temple, and he sees many people putting large amounts of coinage in the treasury, and then he sees one woman, clearly a widow, a person not of means, who puts in one coin, and he says to his disciples, she from all, from who she is, gave all she is, and she is the noble one. And then this happens. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And Jesus said, Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and that the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents or brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. 
When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those inside the city must leave it, and those out in the country must not enter it. For these are days of vengeance as a fulfillment of all that is written. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress on the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be taken away as captives among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud, coming with power and glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. All these beautiful things, all of this made by careful human design, all of this that you see before you, all that we have made as a people, it's fragile. It's temporary. It will crumble. When, Jesus? How? Jesus, where will it begin, Jesus? What market indicators do we need to follow? Or what pundit or prognosticator on TV do we need to listen to to know when to get out? As if after all this time, they just can't seem to understand that Jesus might be teaching them a spiritual lesson and not just a material or physical prediction. So Jesus tries again and he tries by upping the ante and yet he keeps trying to help them get a little spiritually smarter. Okay, okay, okay. Things will get confusing and all sorts of folks will tell you that they know what's happening. A lot of folks will tell you that they know what's best. They'll tell you that they know what's true. And a lot of them will try to speak for me, Jesus says, perhaps even from this pulpit. Beware. You'll hear, you'll see a lot of things. You'll get nervous, but don't. You will hear of wars and insurrections, bad enough, but don't get frightened. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, great 
earthquakes, famines and plagues here and there, dreadful portents and all kinds of things that predict destruction. All pretty bad. Worth paying attention to, worth tending to. So many times in history, since all of this has been written, these things seem to be coming true. Some scholars have even said that this specific passage that I read to you was written, in fact, in order to help the early church. It's placed there in scripture to help them understand why Jerusalem was indeed destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, to give them a sense both that God knows what's happening and that there is reassurance yet. There is reassurance yet. I've had a lot of folks telling me lately that things are pretty bad. A lot of folks telling me lately that we're on the edge of something You've been watching TV the last week. We hear news from our mission partner in Haiti about an extraordinarily difficult situation there. We hear hear words from our mission partner in Bethlehem about great foreboding of what's to become of them and for them. We hear news out of the climate conference conference in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt One prediction that we have nine years left to turn this thing around. Instability, rage, violence and fear from guns and crime, economic concerns, war. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I don't think Jesus is coming in my lifetime but then Jesus may come before the end of this worship service. People have been saying Jesus is coming for centuries. Finally, in the end, this passage is not about when Jesus is returning. This passage is about a reality and a truth far deeper. The genre is called, as I said, apocalyptic literature. We sometimes think that that means catastrophic foretelling, predictions of catastrophe all around. You hear the term in popular culture, that sounds a bit apocalyptic, don't you think? As if we're about to fall over an edge. In scripture, however, apocalyptic has a deeper meaning than that. Apocalyptic does not mean catastrophic. Apocalyptic literally means to unveil, to reveal. Apocalyptic predictions are given to us as gifts to reveal a hidden truth. To reveal what we do not see, but what is always there. Not as a conspiracy, but as the truth of what is from the very foundation of the world. Truth not built on things going well. Truth built in faith that is meant for times of crisis, meant for chaos and uncertainty. Our faith is made for times like these. Here, uh, an observation from the theologian named David Bentley Hart that I want to paraphrase for you today. And listen to this carefully. Bear with me. And I I'm going to comment on it when it's done. He writes this, it, it should never be forgotten 
that Christianity entered human history not as a new creed or philosophy or system of religious observance, but as apocalypse. That means that the sudden unveiling of a mystery hidden in God before the foundation of the world in an historical event without any possible precedent or any conceivable repetition. An overturning of all of the orders and assumptions of the age here on earth and in the heavens above the overthrow of all the angelic and demonic powers and principalities by a slave who was legally crucified at the demand of the religious and political authorities of his time, but who was raised up by God as the one sole Lord over all the cosmos. It is the abolition of walls between peoples. It is the proclamation of an imminent arrival of God's kingdom and of a new age, an urgent call to all people to come out, to come out of the shelters that we hide behind of social or religious or political association into a place of real life and real work for God living in the wake of Christ's life and Christ's resurrection, for time is wasting, and there's no other way to live life fully but in the reality of God. The truth of this passage, the truth of what I just read interpreting it, is the truth that is true for every single moment in which we live. Even when, despite all of our attempts to create something that will last, to write our lives into a narrative that has a beginning and a middle and an end and makes sense, to live in such a way that we know that narrative will be complete or, or finished in the way we want it to be finished, we know, you know, that the fact of the matter is anything can happen at any time. Jesus may come. Apocalypse may happen. The center may not hold and things may fall apart. Faith is made for those moments when you remember again that God will come and God has come and God is coming and God is here with you. That is the essence of what is called apocalyptic faith. It's faith that is reassured that God is with us through all things and in all things, irrespective of how they feel. Every moment is like this. Every moment is God's moment. But the call to live that way, the call to live faith and life in that way is a high calling. It's a calling that we're carried into by God's spirit, but it's a high calling because it also asks us to live without fear. It asks us to live without clinging. It asks us to live without selfishness. It asks us to look at the grand temples and be grateful for them, but understand that it is not they, it is not the grand things of life that make life. 
It is the simple things. The gestures of love and care and sacrifice. It is the gestures of faith and prayer of thanksgiving. It is the moment in which your fear disappears because you know that God has hold of you in a deep and abiding way despite and in spite and in the midst of it all. God will come. Our faith, you see, is radical. By that I don't mean it sits in an ideology that's radical. By that I mean it goes to the radix, the root. Our faith is radical because it goes to the root of history. We claim that there was a moment that changed everything outside of all control but God's that moment of Christ among us, his death, his resurrection, that made everything before look different and gives hope in all that comes after. Our faith goes to the root of history. Our faith goes to the root of meaning. It goes to the very first questions. Who are we and why do we live? And what is worth doing in life? It is radical, it goes to the root of meaning because it leaves nothing out. And potentially, if you'll let it, gives you new reasons and new ideas for how to shape your life. It is radical also because it goes to that root of the very moment that you are living through. And it changes it because it gives you a sense of possibility and hope for tomorrow. Let go. Get right and explore. Just explore that faith. It's not always easy to live it. We're called first to just explore it. Amen.